Today on episode number 563 of the School of Podcasting, I found some killer examples on how you can massage your message for maximum impact. We've got an interview with Neil Galarte, the director of the Messengers documentary, and we're going to look at that example of what would be the least amount of money you would take for a sponsor. Hit it, ladies. The School of Podcasting with Dave Jackson. Podcasting since 2005, I am your very own personal podcast coach, Dave Jackson, thanking you so much for tuning in. If you're new to the show, look, I've been helping people understand technology for over 20 years, been podcasting for 12, and what I do is I help you massage your message, I help you tackle that technology, face your fears, flatten the learning curve, and not just get you podcasting, because look, you can watch a bunch of outdated videos on YouTube to do that. We're talking about you podcasting in a way that you deliver maximum impact and so that you're seen as a digital influencer. Our website is schoolofpodcasting.com. Use the coupon code LISTENER when you sign up, and that will save on either a single course or a monthly or yearly membership. And before I get into the main topic today, I have two items that I want to talk about. Actually, I have three things. The first one is The Messenger's. This is that documentary about podcasting that I was involved with, still am involved with it. And if you go to supportthemessengers.com, they're putting out a special DVD edition. This is uh, something that's going to go away once it gets on iTunes. And this, it brings a a full color program, some wristbands, multiple copies of the DVD. And that way you can actually do your own little screening. We're hoping that will then have little pockets of people telling everybody to then rent or buy the movie on iTunes. Again, that's at supportthemessengers.com. Also, uh, Adam Curry, the podfather, the real podfather, has a new device coming out that's going to potentially revolutionize podcasting. If you go to smallbatch.audio, not .com, smallbatch.audio, you want to sign up there, and uh, there's a new device called the, the Podcaster Pro that's going to be rolled out as a Kickstarter. If you're interested in gear, you might want to check that out. And then last but not least, Podcast Movement is in August, and it's in Anaheim, California. If you're going, go to podcastmovement.com. Use the coupon code SOP. That's short for School of Podcasting, SOP10. All right, so what I want to talk about today is shaping your content for maximum impact. We have words And we want to wield those so that they really just pull the audience in. And one of the things, I've been talking about this a little lately. So this is, uh, if we're playing the Dave Jackson drinking game, he's going to talk about Steve Martin again. I've been taking his master class. And he said something that really stood out to me. He said, you can't practice comedy. And I went, hmm, you know, he's got a point. You can't, you can't practice podcasting. You can practice recording. You can practice having words come out of your mouth, and you can practice having those words recorded. But it's really not a podcast. You don't know if it's any good until you do it in front of an audience. And likewise, you don't know if you're funny, if you're a comedian, until you do it in front of an audience. And so what I want to do is I've always trying to help you get over that hurdle and realize that when you first start out, you're just talking to a few people. And then once you get a group of people, still talk like you're talking to one person. And so I've been reading a couple of books, and one is called TED Talks, the official TED Guide to Public Speaking by Chris Anderson, who is the guy behind TED Talks. 
Uh, another one is Secrets of Dynamic Communications. And the other one is called Out on the Wire. And that is uh, the full title of that is The Storytelling Secrets of the New Masters of Radio. And that's by Jessica Abel. And she went deep inside NPR and the creators of This American Life. And she took like a ton of notes. And she's basically sharing those. And so they have a couple different strategies to shape a story into something that's interesting. So I'm going to talk about a couple of these. Now, I realize you might be going, but David, don't do an NPR style show. I get that, but I think we can still kind of use these in some cases. So the first one is, and they say you should do this out loud to another person. I mean, have you ever had a problem? And as you're telling somebody what the problem is, you go, and you know the thing, and that's why when you do, oh, you know what? I need to do the thing. You ever done that? I've done that. I'll do that working at Libsyn, and I'll think, I'm, I'm typing out the question and, and up to level two support. I'm like, hey, have you guys ever seen the thing? Oh, you know what? I didn't check that one thing. And so that's why they say, do this to another live human being. And you say, I'm doing a story about X. And what is interesting about it is this. You know, why they call that the X, Y, not Y as in Y, but Y the letter. And they say it's really important that you do this out loud to a real person. I'm doing a story about X. And what's interesting about it is Y. Then to shape your story, you use this other tool if you want. Somebody does something because of whatever their motivation is. But and then there's a challenge. Now, if you can't answer that, but then ask yourself, well, what do I have here? What's, what's going on? They have another exercise where their focus, uh, they call this the focus setting or the focus sentence. It may be something like this. This happened, whatever it is, and then this blah, 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 and then this, and then you're not going to believe it, but blank again. And the reason that it's interesting to every single person walking on the face of the earth is blank. And this is where I kind of draw the line. That's where I go, mm, not sure. I mean, look, we all want everyone to like our episodes. We, who doesn't? But that's just not going to happen. Can I just clue you in on that? You're not everybody's going to like your show. And if you try to make a podcast that's interesting to every single person, and that's the actual wording in the book, every single person, you're going to go crazy. You will officially go cray cray. Now, keep in mind, these people are telling stories and stories are powerful. But I think in certain circumstances, they don't really fit. So, for example, uh, let's use this one. I'm going to kind of use this to explain how it helps you kind of shape out a story, though. You ready? Many podcasters want to make money with their podcast. There's that motivation. But, right, here's the the, uh, hurdle. All right. Only 10% of podcasters get enough downloads to get big name sponsors. Then this guy started a podcast about horses, and you won't believe it, but he got a sponsor when he had less than 100 downloads per episode. He added more and more shows and called it a network, and he ignored the CPM model brought over by radio, and now he's making a full-time living with his podcast. The reason this is important is dynamic ad insertion is paying very low rates, and uninformed podcasters may take those fees because they feel they can't get a sponsor without huge downloads. If you want to actually hear that podcast... Go over to schoolofpodcasting.com slash Glenn, that's G-L-E-N-N, as in two N's, Glenn and the number one. So that's kind of how you can shape out a story to kind of focus on it. And that's one of the keys is you want to have a focus to your episode. And 
another way you might think about this, what if I'm doing a review of something? If I'm interviewing the maker of some technology, it might be something that eliminates the challenge that we talk about. You know, uh, something like this. Some podcasters have a hard time sharing promotional material with their guests, but podhero.io makes it easy. Okay. So these are things, again, you don't have to take, this isn't gospel, but you'll see here, I've got a couple examples here where you can take a story and tweak it to where it's just more engaging. Warning, warning, danger, danger, Will Robinson. Now, for the record, I'm going to play something here that may or may not be legal. So just because I'm playing this, don't go saying, well, Dave did it, so it's fine. Again, I think it could fall back on fair use. But remember, 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 fair use is the defense you use in court. And the last time I was in court, it was really expensive. So here's the story. I was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in 1983 to a loving American mother and an Egyptian father who tried their best to create a happy childhood for me. It wasn't until I was seven years old that our family dynamics started to change. My father exposed me to a side of Islam that few people, including the majority of Muslims, get to see. It's been my experience that when people take the time to interact with one another, it doesn't take long to realize that for the most part, we all want the same things out of life. So not a horrible opening. Hey, we're all from different areas and we can all and generally want the same things. My dad was a Muslim. Okay, not bad. Now, listen, he, he worked with the Ted people, reworked his opening and listen to this. And I'll have links out at schoolpodcasting.com slash 563 if you want to watch this whole talk, because there's a pause that he puts in here and the looks on people's faces like, did he just say what? Listen to this. On November 5th, 1990, a man named El Sayed Nasser walked into a hotel in Manhattan and assassinated Rabbi Meir Kahana, the leader of the Jewish Defense League. Nasser was initially found not guilty of the murder, but while serving time on lesser charges, he and other men began planning attacks on a dozen New York City landmarks, including tunnels, synagogues, and United Nations headquarters. Thankfully, those plans were foiled by an FBI informant. Sadly, the 1993 bombing of the World Trade Center was not. Nocera would eventually be convicted for his involvement in the plot. I'll say it, Nocera is my father. What, what, what? So now, which one do you want to hear the rest of the story with? We go back to Paul Harvey. That's the rest of the story. Wow, right? The first one, hey, we all should learn to love each other. Second one, my dad was a terrorist. That was like, whoa, that's a way different. And so what you want to do is leave out stuff that you don't need. So I have another example of one here, and I'm going to first read it the way that you should, and then I'll read it how you shouldn't. Once when I was eight years old, my father took me fishing. We were in a tiny boat five miles from shore when a massive storm blew in. Dad put a life jacket on me and whispered in my ear, Do you trust me, son? I nodded. He threw me overboard. I mean, I kid you not, he just tossed me over. I hit the water and I bobbed up to the surface, gasping for breath. It was shockingly cold, and the waves were terrifying. They were monstrous. Then, Dad dived in after me. We watched in horror as our little boat flipped and sank. 
but he was holding me the whole time, telling me it was going to be okay. Fifteen minutes later, the Coast Guard helicopter arrived, and it turned out that Dad had knew the boat was damaged, and he was, was going to sink, and he called them with our exact location. He guessed it was better to chuck me in the open sea than risk me getting trapped when the boat flipped. And that is how I learned the true meaning of the word trust. So when you hear that story, at first you're like, whoa, this guy just tosses his kid into, what's he going to do? Sink or swim? You got to learn how to swim there, son. Right? And you're like, whoa. Now, listen to this story with, well, you'll, you'll be able to figure out what's going on. And I'll try to read it with the same kind of gusto. I learned trust from my father when I was eight years old, and we got caught in a storm while out fishing for mackerel. We failed to catch a single one before the storm hit. Dad knew the boat was going to sink because it was one of those Saturn brand inflatable boats, which are usually pretty strong, but this one had been punctured once, and Dad thought it might happen again, and in any case, the storm was too big for an inflatable boat, and it was already leaking, so he called the Coast Guard Rescue Service, who back then were available 24-7, unlike today, and he told them our location, and then, to avoid the risk of getting trapped underwater, he put a life jack on me and threw me overboard before jumping in himself. When we then waited for the Coast Guard to come, and sure enough, about 15 minutes later, the helicopter showed up. I think it was a Sikorsky MH-60 Jayhawk, and uh, we were fine. Both are the same story, but you want to get the stuff that does. It doesn't matter what kind of helicopter picked you up. And there was a little bit of negativity in there, like, well, back in the day, you could get 24-7 when you're dying in the ocean. And who cares what kind of fish you were fishing for, right? I was fishing for mackerel. I mean... Would it have made it a better story if I was fishing for a herring? Because we need another herring! A herring! No. So cut out the stuff that isn't needed. Have you ever known somebody like that? Like, I don't know. They they come over like, oh, why were you? They walk in. I'm sorry I was late. Oh, really? What happened? Oh, we had a flat tire. Oh, really? That stinks. What happened? Well, we were out to dinner and the waiter came over. He had red hair. He's about 6'2". And you're like, what? I, I know somebody like that that will just give you insane detail. And you're just like... What does this have to do with your tire going flat? So the, the book, again, that I've, I've mentioned this before, The Secrets of Dynamic Communications, Prepare with Focus, Deliver with Clarity, and Speak with Power. This is from uh, Ken Davis. And he says, to make it as clear as, and powerful as possible, it's necessary to know exactly what you want to accomplish and then keep only the material that will contribute to that objective. So we talked about up front. You know, this is a story about this and because of that, and it's interesting because of that. Okay, now that we know what it is, let's look and say, does this really matter to the story? He also states, and this needs to be a bumper sticker, if you aim at nothing, you will hit it every time. Yeah. Another strategy, he says, is some people think if I just throw everything at them, something is bound to have an impact. And I've listened to some podcasts like this where I almost unsubscribe because ah, that episode was meh and that episode was and that episode was and then finally they'll have one that I'm like, oh, that was pretty good. Well, yeah, but you're exhausting your audience when you do that. Wouldn't it be better to know your audience and then give them what they want? So those are some things you can think about. Again, the books I was reading, Secrets of Dynamic Communications, the uh, TED Talks, by Chris Anderson, and then Out on the Wire, the storytelling secrets of the new masters of radio. Now, that one, Out on the Wire, if you're really interested in the NPR, better known as narrative-style podcasting, 
there are two places you can go out on the wire actually has a podcast with little homework and things like that. Uh, just look for out on the wire in whatever podcast app you're looking for. And the other one is uh, Josh Rivers from creative studio dot Academy has a whole series that he did on creative style uh, podcasting. And uh, I was actually on that. And what Josh did, which is kind of interesting, he he, inter- he interviewed me and people like Elsie uh, Escobar and Eric K. Johnson from Podcast Talent Coach. And he pulled the parts out that were about NPR, you know, narrative style podcasting. And then he went back after he did that segment and just reran the whole interview because sometimes we talked about other things besides narrative style podcasting. So that's the way to get more out of the content without actually doing a repeat. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And I'll have links to these out in the show notes at schoolofpodcasting.com slash five, six, three. <laughs> Where did that background music come from? Was that left? Was that like Mike Post or Jan Hammer? Or was that left over from Jake and the Fat Man? <laughs> Believe it or not. Think about that. Can we take a little 10 second tangent? There used to be a TV show back in probably the 80s, maybe even the late 70s called Jake and the Fat Man. You could not do that show today. Oh, anyway. Hey, coming up later in the show. Oh, man. Does that sound like a come up on the show, everybody? <laughs> All right. We uh, it is the end of the month. We always do something very interactive, so we'll be talking about what's the least amount you would take from a sponsor to have a sponsor on your show. But right now, we're going to talk with the man that edited the Messengers documentary. We mentioned this earlier. Again, go to supportthemessengers.com and you can pick up your copy of the DVD. I know I ordered mine, but Neil is known. You can find him at wildstylemedia.net, or he's got a show all about post-production and video. He's, he's a big video guy. But what I did was I we talk about some video things, obviously, because it's the movie. But I also got into his head about how to work with an editor and some guides on how to edit things. And you can find his podcast over at allthingspost.net. So here is my interview with Neil Galarte. Hey, thanks for having me, bud. And one of the things that for me, really like gave a, a whole new appreciation for what you do was I was down in Florida for, I think the Tampa Bay Business Association. I was doing something down there. And anyway, I got to go into to your little uh, cave there, you know, the offices. <laughs> the <back> cave. <laughs> yeah. And you were showing me some scenes from the messengers. This is way before it was even close to being done. And yeah. just to hear you talk about different things in the, the scene that I had no idea, like as a, as a regular viewer of a movie, I had, it was nothing that I was looking at and you were talking about all sorts of different details and stuff. And I was like, wow, this guy has a completely different set of skills as an editor that I was like, I want to dig into your head. It's the same way my, uh, my ex-wife used to say I ruined music for her because we'd go to see a live band (laughs) Then I'd be like, hey, wait a minute. They're doing six-part harmony. There's only four guys on stage. They're singing with a backing track. And you know, so I was always yeah. dissecting it. To <laughs> so what are uh, just a, I know you have a wide variety of stuff. Give us a, a, some of the smorgasbord of things that you've edited over the years. Wow. Well, first of all, I'm sure that your, your, ex are, your wife and my wife are probably in the same focus group because <laughs> my wife says the same thing. I can't watch anything with you. <laughs> um, wow. You know, I, I started editing, you know, the very first thing I ever edited in my life was VCR to VCR. And I grabbed Batman 1989 
and this is the year 1990, and I added uh, the song The Power by Snap, and I overlapped, and I made my first quote-unquote music video, right, putting that song to the film and then cutting the film to the beat of the track the good old-fashioned way, and then, you know, worked my way up over 25 years. So I've cut everything from early on was a lot of music videos for for local bands and friends. Then I did weddings. And then at a very early, early age, I landed an account with uh, Disney Event Group. So I did all of the weddings for the Disney weddings that are shot in all of the parks with remote cameras. So we did all the editing for that. And then, um, you know, started working my way into indie film projects because I always wanted to be a filmmaker. And um and sort of did a kind of a big indie film project called Legends in 2004. It was like a horror film. From there, it just kind of kept growing. I started doing homicide video for the Orlando Police Department. Then I moved my way up to being the producer for the mayor of Orlando. And in 2013, I left and moved to Tampa, where I am now. I created Wild Style Media, and we now edit podcasts, audio productions, um, full music productions. We now are slowly getting into scoring for film and working our way towards gaming. But my primary butter is still editing video and independent films and now documentaries. Now, when you were doing the homicide video, did you also work in I Got the Power? And, and Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> when you say homicide video, like, is that like, hey, somebody, there's a homicide and you had to go videotape it? Yes, I had to go videotape it before the crime scene technicians processed the entire scene. So that way... That kind of came from the OJ world, but people don't realize that because stuff gets tainted, they wanted it videotaped before, during, and after so that we could prove that they did a great job in processing the scene or help in identifying what happened in the scene. So um, that really honestly um, helped me with my shooting skills, you know, always shooting in low light, it's almost always at night. And a lot of that sort of like, what did the, what did the bad guy see, right? Recreating his path of travel. A lot of that helped me becoming an extremely stable shooter. So it was it was a challenge, but let me tell you, uh, it's it gave me some unique skills that I haven't that I haven't stopped using. Well, you didn't have any fussy actors going. No, no, that's my bad side. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's, that's so wrong. All right. Um, oh Lord, next well, topic. <laughs> yeah. So I want to talk a little bit because some people might go, "Well, I'm not doing video," but it, in the same of the stories, one of the things I wanted to jump into was, yeah, how many terabytes. Bazillabytes, whatever you had to go through. Um, this cam, this film was uh, shot with DSLR, two cameras primarily, and uh, my drone, which we called Iceman, um, affectionately. So I think total was uh, just a little bit over 800 gigabytes of raw data, and then um, it had to be organized, obviously, in you know interviews versus aerials versus B-roll, and then the audio, which. Big shout out to Ralph Lugo at RLJ Audio. I mean, he literally got audio with fountains in the back, birds in the back, guys that are blowing leaves in the back. And, you know, we uh, we did purchase an advanced software that they use in, in films and uh, we cleaned all that up. And it, like you you heard it, you know, it, it, he did an amazing job. So it was a ton of work between he and I because I had to identify the audio problems before I sent it to him so I could tell him what to fix. So that's double editing. I have to listen to it, find the problem send it to him, resync it into the film and then add sound effects and then cover up anything else. So it, it was a, it was a marathon edit job. Well, how did you determine like what the story was going to be? Cause there were so, you had multiple stories. Yeah. How did you then weave them into like one kind of big, long story? You know, Chris interviewed each person for over an hour. So technically I have an hour's worth of answers for every question that was asked. So I think what hurt me in this movie was I just started with podcasting versus radio. I felt like that was a strong point. 
and I could do well. And instead, I was just repeating the same question, answer, question, answer. And it felt like a ping pong. And then finally, what kind of changed my whole course is I went to Lee Silverstein and I thought, well, you know, I feel what he's saying. I feel for him. So I started letting go by the whole Jedi vibe of feeling and letting the story come. And then based on what he said, then I went and found what someone else said. And next thing I know, I started swinging from vine to vine. So it kind of came together by listening better. And then by the end of the film, I went and shot brand new B-roll for him. I went and got more for his story for him and his wife. And it ended up being the biggest tearjerker of the entire film and was technically the first full scene that I edited when I finally gave up trying to edit and just let the movie tell itself as I listened to it all. It just kind of told itself and I just started following. So how do you determine if something then like makes it into the movie? What people don't understand, my first 30 days of this particular film, and this goes for any project, uh, you would say the first few days of any project, is I had to familiarize myself with the footage. A lot of people don't realize we had another editor. I was actually directing the film. I wasn't supposed to edit it at all. And we let him go. And my first 15 days, I kept doing what he was going to do. And then after that, I started just watching the film and trying to figure out what do I want to do? You know, what's Neil's version of this movie? So the way you determine what's going to go into the movie is... You start to just let the story tell itself. And you, instead of trying to cut the film, you're just kind of like riding a wave. You know, it's like surfing. I started riding the wave and determining when to pivot, you know, when to slow down, when to speed up. What was funny? Now, let me go find something a little sad. Let me put them on a roller coaster ride. I got to I gotta pace this for an hour. This movie's not 15-minute documentary. This is an hour. And that's how do you keep somebody engaged for an hour? Well, you got to make them laugh. Then you got to make them cry. And so I kind of did it like that. And then I'll be honest, the first cut, Dave was not good. What I thought made the movie, Chris quickly said, cut, 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 cut. (laughs) And then once you do that, you start to tighten it. Then you start to look for gems. And be honest with you, in this particular film, we had a big loss, which was my father-in-law. And then having another editor come in for a night, he uncovered some gems. And then once I had those gems, that's when it really kind of all came together. So when you say it wasn't good, why? It wasn't, it wasn't a, it didn't flow, you know, it, a lot of it, it sounded like just talking heads doing ping pong and some of the cuts were sort of clashing into each other. And another thing people don't even realize is editing is really affected by shooting. And we kind of shot everybody on the left side of the screen. So I didn't have somebody on the right side of the screen. So it would vary a little bit. So it just didn't feel like a good ride. You know, it, it was, it was like a, a good story. Okay, Glenn the Geek, he has a horse network. Okay, cool. Now what? Then I just jumped to Lee and then I just jumped to Lily Wong. And it just, it was very dry and no one's story led into anybody else. And then the answer to that was I did an interview with Chris Kremitzos and I literally told him everywhere I was stuck. And then what he did was create bridge commentary for me that helped me get from person to person. And when I didn't have him, I used our drone shots and I started making them very dramatic or I used shots of the ocean and I changed the music and the pacing of the music to create the breath of fresh air that I needed to transition from like Spider-Man from one building to the next. So the first round didn't have any of that finesse. Music is a huge part of a film. And imagine you're cutting the whole film without even hearing the music. So then once I would get the music, I had to retime the entire movie because now the mood changed. And sometimes I would change entire shots. I would change duration. I would shorten, sweeten, lengthen, shorten the music, speed it up, slow it down. And it's a dance until I get that to fit like they were actually created together. And that's when the second cut of the film 
was what I felt breathing, living, and and really talking to me at that point because it was overlapping now. You know, some of the edits were like fading into each other. You hear her before she comes onto the scene. And once I started doing all that, that's when it started to feel like a film and not like a handheld shot documentary. And if I don't ask this question, somebody's going to come along and kick me in the shin. What kind of camera were you using? Okay, so we actually used the my Canon 60D, which is a crop frame DSLR. And Willie actually has a Canon T2i, one of the first ones that was ever out. So proof that it doesn't matter what you use. It's all about the talent behind the camera. And then the drone has a, actually was a brand new drone, a Phantom 4 with a 4K camera. But we dumbed it down to 2K because our computers couldn't handle it. They literally couldn't play back the files. And so that's the cameras that we used, uh, Canon, pretty much Canon exclusively. Uh, well, you're also a an audio editor at Wildstyle Media, which you can find at wildstyle.net. If somebody wanted to work with an editor, what would be something that, obviously you're on the other side of that, but what should they do to prepare to work with an editor? I would tell people that the first thing to do is stop trying to edit it yourself. Stop complicating your show. For us, it's sort of like an assembly line, you know, and a big credit to Glenn the, Glee, Glenn the Geek of Horse Radio Network, because we, once we worked with him and we took over all of his network's editing, we kind of make everybody now work in his world. His system of organization is... Have your intros and your outros, you know, they send them to us separately, not all mixed in together. Give us the body of your show or the body of your project separate. All your ads and any type of inserts separate. Music separate. And we assemble it for you. You know, we'll blend it. We'll mix it. And not to sound like a commercial, but the one thing that I really pride myself on doing is that we listen to every single word so that you don't have to worry that we fast forward, skip or have leave something in that shouldn't be there. And we have real humans editing stuff and it's not being outsourced, it's not a computer. So the more that they give it to us in parts, just like in music, right? You give us the stems, the better we can mix it and tell a story. And the biggest thing you said earlier, editing is not just about editing. All we are is storytellers, right? We're holding a blade in our hand and we're cutting a story. So just like a movie, Podcasts and other audio projects are the same. We just want to tell a great story and we use your elements separately to tell that story. And then we manipulate everything else, whether it's fading the music, adding little sound effects. I mean, you're a master editor, storyteller, you know what I'm talking about. And then we do all that together to come together with something that the, the client can be proud of and, and share with their audience. Now, do they give you kind of the scalpel and go, you you take out what you think or, or do you have to? No, because no one knows a story better than the guy who did the interview. So I really tell people that, one, become better at recording your shows so that you're actually able to give me a more condensed file that I don't have to edit so much. You know, If you do more preparedness up front, not only is it less cost for the editing, but it's also better for the editor. Now, we will content, you know, if it's a must, right, we will take out more than just the ums. If it's something that's truly hurting the story, we will reach out to the, the client and say, listen, we really think you took a left turn here. Is this something you want to leave in the show? We really prefer that they give us the meat and potatoes. And really what we're doing is assemble editing it for them. We do offer custom editing. However, that is obviously a different cost because it's a different level of expertise and engagement um, by our editors here at Wildstop Media. Do you know if there are any kind of, without throwing, I, I don't need names, but are there any common things that you see that you end up cutting out or, or you kind of go, mm, don't know if. Yeah. yeah, we, aside from the ums and the coughs and stuff, what we really like to, that I see often is people rant and they, they are, they'll be on point for a second. They're just right on point. And out of nowhere, they'll let the list, I'm sorry, the guest 
almost like derail them. Like if the guest does a derailing comment, they don't bring them right back. They off, they go off on a tangent conversation. And a lot of times we have to eliminate that to keep the podcast back on schedule for the listener doesn't even know that occurred. What's your, uh, obviously you're, you're passing files back and forth. Any preferred method to, uh, to do that? Yeah, we're 90% Dropbox. We actually tried other stuff with our clients. And um, honestly, I ended up paying money for stuff they didn't use. You know, I tried different formats, tried a more advanced delivery ways, things that are more collaborative. And what we find out is podcasters are busy. Most of them are lawyers or professionals or they're podcasting on the side. They want to give me the show and blink and it's in their inbox in an MP3 on Friday. So Really, Dropbox has worked beautifully. I create two folders. One says to be edited. One says edited. That's where they pick it up. But we also use one called frame.io, and that is their website. And it's a collaborative workspace. It's uh, more for film, but it works for everything. It's like Dropbox on steroids. There's a a listener and a member of the School of Podcasting. Her name is Kim, and she does um, Toastmasters101.net. And the fun thing is she's been doing all this teaching on Toastmasters, and now they're coming out with new curriculum. And mm-hmm. she wants to record a podcast about that, but she doesn't have the curriculum yet. What would be the advice to somebody who goes, hey, I'm going to start a project, but I'm not sure where it's going to go. Is there, mm. is there any kind of advice so that when you get done with all this stuff, how do you turn? Because I told her, I said, well, you could kind of do it like a journey podcast and join me because I don't know where I'm going. But have you ever had a situation like that where you go into just shoot film and you'll kind of come up with a story later? That was kind of Haiti. I mean, we had a little bit of story of what she wanted. Hey, I want to show how bad it is. That was about it. You know? Okay. I am. I love that whole freestyle. That's Neil. Jump off the cliff. Find the story as I plummet. Okay. But I know if I tell people that, then the other 5 billion people out there, no, you have to have an outline. You have to have a script. But I got to be honest with you, man, Dave. Sometimes the best songs on the planet that were ever recorded were jam sessions that were not planned. Right. First of all, it's her story and it's her time. And there's... People have to get rid of the mentality that they can't start over. So she could start it, start, like you said, a journey vibe and kind of freestyle it as you develop the curriculum and then start to inject the curriculum as you go. And the show will morph into a more organized show, but you can't free fall the entire time because then it starts to look like you're just trying to to not flat. So I think that as she grows, it'll sort of show that she's putting a parachute and how more, much more impressive is it that she put the parachute on while she was falling so I just think that um, my advice as a content creator now is free flow is awesome, but you have to at some point bring in the the structure because it, every building without a structure will eventually crumble. Yeah, well, that's one of the things I noticed when I was in the office is you guys had a big old giant whiteboard with the storyboard of the messengers. Yeah. And so you could say, this is where we're at. This is where we're going. So yeah. once you had gone through all that footage and kind of documented what you had, and then you could say, okay, this is the story where I... Th- this is where I think I'm going. It's like you yeah. said, then as you go along, you, you find other things. Well, one of the other things you did back in the day, uh, you used to be involved a lot in the music industry. You were, yeah. uh, you were a DJ, you're helping DJs and things like that. Did you do anything, any kind of guerrilla promotions or anything like that in terms of promoting? That yeah. We- you know, obviously back then I was younger and I, you know, you go to nightclub and you hand out flyers and you do what I call the meet real people version, not the internet. Right. So you're out there and you're, your recording live where we would do live sets and just try to attract people and give them flyers. Hey, to see us Friday at this event or buy our mix CD now, you know, and, and we had to do that without the help of the web. As you switch gears in the industry, whether it's music or film, you, you need to switch the way you market. We've never gotten as far in film distribution as the messengers has. So I'm literally in brand new ground as we hit the distributor. And as we 
market and try to do screenings. Uh, Danny Pena has been a huge help of Gamertag Radio, helping us to get things because he is a ground level promoter, like what you just said, very guerrilla. And uh, we're totally relying on him for that. So to help us or at least guide us with that. So it's been interesting. Let me tell you, but every project is different. Every podcast, every show, every song, every movie, it has its own method of getting to the audience. You have to know what that is or find it quickly. One method does not work for everything. If you were to do this again, so Chris is like, hey, we're, we're going to do a, a new movie. It's yes. called The Messengers <laughs> yeah, Part 2. <laughs> Please don't say that. <laughs> what would you do differently this time? The biggest thing for us was locking in better agreements. Uh, you know, we did it as four buddies with a big heart trying to make something and that didn't sustain us when legalities kicked in. So the, one of the first things I would do is make things a little, a little more formal. You make them too formal and now no one wants to do anything that's not written on that list. Number two, you know, we kind of went fly by night with these stories. I, mean, we, I never knew what I was shooting until the second I got there. I'd, I'd probably do a little more prep on their their arc before I meet them, not literally sitting in front of them and then taking the twisty, curvy road. And as far as the last thing on uh, post-production is more time. Give yourself more time. Films are marathons. So that's the three things that I would do. And, um, and one last thing I think uh, for every project that I think people should do is who's going to see it? Who's your audience? Really hone in on that. And that might resemble the avatar in podcasting, right? Who's your listener? Determine the audience, then determine the arc of how you're going to reach the audience and how you want to touch the audience. One thing I'm so proud of the messengers, it makes you smile. It makes you cry. You know, it makes you, it makes you nostalgic. It makes you inspired. And that was not by accident. You know, those edits were not by accident. If I wasn't crying in the edit bay, no one's going to cry in the theater. So I just really focused on how I wanted to touch people. And I think it really came across in the way I edited their stories. If somebody said, Hey, what's your podcast about all things post? <laughs> all things post is literally, um, putting a microphone in front of the neglected movie credits. So as you walk out of the theater and all those 500 names are rolling up, all those designers and graphics and animators, we put a microphone in front of all those people and talk to them about how they made what you just enjoyed and the mindset that it takes to be an assistant editor on Supergirl or the uh, animator on, you know, Marvel, whatever. So we really don't care so much about the technicalities, just more how'd you get there and what does it take to do what you do? Much like the interview we just did. So um, my show is two years old. It's it's doing well. I won't lie. I'm not as consistent as I like to be. I'm trying to now with the film. Just launched a new vlog to support my podcast, which is the same thing, Behind the Scenes of Neil's Production Life. And that's on YouTube. Just look up my name. And um, the I'm looking to tie those together a little bit this year as things become more multimedia, not just podcasts. So hopefully the vlog on YouTube by next PodFest will be as strong or nearly as strong as my podcast. And now it's a one-two punch. It's um, listen to me here or watch me here. And then hopefully I can build an audience that will, you know, follow my journey along the way. Well, Neil, buddy, I want to thank you for taking time to uh, let me crawl inside the head of an editor. <laughs> oh, thank you for having me, man. It was really fun. And uh, sorry for my long answers. Ah, oh, dude, no. Awesome. <laughs> I'm a Very... passionate ed uh, editor. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. If you can't tell, I'm having fun with the background music today. Thank you so much, Mr. Galarte, Mr. Neil Galarte from WildStyleMedia.net and AllThingsPost.net. Some great things there that we're kind of tied in everything we're talking about. Number one, got to know who your audience is. 
kind of figure out what is it you're trying to tell? What is the story? And then what pieces of the puzzle fit that? And I thought it was kind of interesting that in the end, Neil just trusts his gut. Does this fit into that? And when I was talking to him at the premiere of the movie in Florida, he was, I mean, again, editors think completely different on even things like the pace of the way somebody talks and does that transition into it and the music and I mean, all sorts of different things that tie into how things tie together. So thank you again, Neil. And last month I asked you, I said, Hey, what is the lowest amount you would take for a sponsor? And this is one of those things. Number one, you don't have to make money with your podcast. You just don't. In fact, uh, a lot of you actually said, I'm not even trying. So I I will say this. I, I learned this in this episode. And if you ever think, wow, that Dave, just everything he does is right. No, this was one that I knew. Number one, asking for people's numbers was going to be kind of iffy. And then asking them about money was going to, and in the end, I'm going to tell you right now, uh, this was a wash. I did find out that 89.2 of you said you are interested in making money with your podcast and 10.8% of you lied. Wait, no, 10.8% said, no, you're not interested in doing a podcast, which is great. I, I love those kind of podcasts are like, nope, I'm doing this because I love the subject. I want to talk about this subject. And that's awesome. And I'm just, I'm joking about that. But I mean, I'll give an example of how this just didn't work. Seven respondents had, oh, 37 people responded. Thank you all who did that. We will have a new question here in just a second. Seven respondents had a hundred downloads or less. And they said they would take anywhere again with a hundred downloads or less anywhere from $5 an episode. And I actually went back and looked at the question. It said, how much, what was the least amount you would take per episode? And somebody put $5 and somebody put 500. Yeah. Uh, The people close to a hundred downloads were asking for somewhere between 25 and $35. Uh, Three respondents got between 101 to 200 downloads. They were interested. They were not interested in making money. And uh, one of those three said they'd take at least 10 bucks. Uh, three respondents had between 200 and 300 downloads, said they would take anywhere from five to 10. One respondent had between three and 400 downloads, they would take $500. So can you kind of see where it's all? I think this is really, I mean, I could read you these numbers and just bore the bejesus out of you right now, uh, but they're just all over the place, which is kind of the whole thing with podcast advertising. One buddy, one somebody did have uh, a really interesting note. They said, I charge a dollar per second. So if you want a 30 second ad, it's going to cost you 30 bucks. That person was getting 4,673 downloads per episode. I loved that because there were a lot of people. I said, how many downloads are you getting? And they were giving me ranges like ah, somewhere between 60 and 4,673. And you're like, what? So in the end, I didn't really get the kind of response I was looking for. Uh, Now, here's the other thing. I'm not a huge fan of CPM because it doesn't work for most podcasters. Because the people that are getting 120 downloads, that's six classrooms for the people. But if your CPM is, you know, $5, you're not going to pay for your hosting bill. 
So it doesn't work in that aspect. And that's where you find a show who's interested in getting their brand. You magnify the niche and say, look, I have your target audience and things like that. Now, that doesn't mean CPM is bad. There are people that are rocking CPM because they've got the numbers to make it work. So I'm not anti-CPM, but I went out. If you go out to schoolofpodcasting.com slash 563, you will see where the CPMs range from anywhere from $2.50 up to $50 CPM. And from what I hear, it's anywhere from 15 to 50. But here's how I love Jessica Kupferman from jkmagency.com. She's awesome. And I did see that a lot. A lot of people were doing absolutely nothing to get a sponsor. And again, if you're not interested for the 10.8% of you that said, I'm not interested in sponsors, that's fine. But a lot of people were saying, I am contacting other people. There are websites that you can put your show on. And they are going to, again, ask you how many, how much money do you want per thousand downloads? So that is just brought over from the radio folks, which is, but I think you can, I know on advertisecast.com that you can, uh, I believe, say this is how much per episode. So if you want to go that route, but Jessica from JKM Agency, when she was on my show, and I'll put a link to that out in the show notes. She simply said, well, would you take, let's say you get, I don't know, 300 downloads an episode. Would you take uh, $5 per episode? And you go, no, it's not enough. What about 10? Yeah, maybe. Okay, 15? Yeah, that'd be good. What about 20? Well, what about 30? Now, 30 would be too much because I, I need to re, you need to have return on investment. So 15, 20 would be in your range. That's what you think you're worth. Yes, that's how you do it. And then the other thing you can do, and this again, if you go to schoolofpodcasting.com slash Glenn and the number one, this idea came from Glenn the Geek from horseradionetwork.com. And that is find a magazine that is featuring your stuff. So if it's, you know, kite flying monthly or, you know, cross country ballroom dancing, whatever, if there's a magazine about it, don't go to the full page ad, go to the ones in the back, the little baby ads. Then call the magazine and find out how much those people are paying because those people have a budget. And you can say, hey, I have your target audience over here and go that route. And that, that might give you that. The other thing you can do if you're not sure, ask them, how much do you spend to acquire a customer? And let them throw out the number and then see how much you would think, how many episodes it would take, things like that to get them that number and then how much of that money. So it, it is hard. It's not easy. And again, if you're looking for somebody to help you with that, there are people that do that. I'm a big fan of Jessica at jkmagency.com. But there are others out there if you want to try. And again, I, I need to understate this, that you don't have to make money with your podcast. I mean, this morning, this weekend, I spent $200 to get my, for lack of a better, my bike, not a motorcycle, an actual bike. I do a lot of biking in the summer and I spent $200 to get a tune up because last year my chain popped off and my, it just, it hadn't ever been tuned up. And I spent $200 to be safe on my bike. I drive out in the middle of nowhere into the forest on this thing. And I don't want it breaking down on me. I'm not going to make any money with my bike. I'm not entering any races. I'm not, no. So it's a hobby and I'm putting out money for that. So you don't have to make money with your podcast if it's just a hobby. That's fine. So I do have a new 
question of the month. I like these. And uh, here, what I'm looking into is if you've ever walked away from a podcast, and there is a phrase for this, it's called pod fading. And I don't want to use the word quit because quitter sounds like, oh, you quitter. But there are times when things happen and the podcasting wasn't the number one priority anymore. So here is the question. And if you go out to schoolofpodcasting.com slash podcast, you can answer this question. This It's simple. Number one, have you ever started a podcast? Because I realize some of you have not. So if you haven't, answer that question and say, what's holding you back? I would love to know that. So this is kind of a, a, a it's a question that forks in the road. So if you've never started a podcast, what's holding you back? Then if you say yes, are you still producing that show? And if yes, here's the question. What's the name of the show and the web address? Because I want to give you some love. And then I want you, want you to ask this question. Why do you podcast? What's in it for you? And I, there's no judging. I just want to know, why do you do it? All right. Now, what if you say, I did start a podcast, but I'm not doing it anymore. Again, what was the name of the show? If, if the website's still there, by all means, throw it at me. But why did you walk away? I would love to know that. I'm interested in that. And the reason I'm doing this is there may be something that I can do to eliminate that hurdle that you ran across. Now, sometimes there are things like, I don't know, babies. And babies are so selfish. They always want fed and they're crying and they're pooping. You know, I can't go in and eliminate your baby. I I think you have to keep those. I don't think there's like a 90-day return policy on though. So, uh, yeah, that would be bad. So, you know, but there might be something that I go, Hmm, you know what? I didn't realize people were getting stuck on this and maybe I can go find an easier way to do that. So I realize it's kind of a multi test here. It's, have you ever started a podcast? Yes or no. If no, what's holding you back? And then you're done. If you're yes, great. Uh, are you still doing it? If so, what's the name of it? What's the address and why do you do it? Realize you're like, Dave, this is like four questions. And if you're not doing it, what was the name of your show? And why did you walk away from the podcast? And you can leave your answer by going to schoolofpodcasting.com slash contact. And I am going to ask for your email address, but I'm not going to use it unless you win something. And yes, because I realize this is like a multi-part. I'm going to give away something with uh, this particular I haven't figured out what it is, probably a $25 gift card to uh, Amazon or maybe a month at the School of Podcasting, your choice kind of thing. If you're if you're going to record something and email it to me, please put the number 468 in the subject line. That way it doesn't get lost. So that is next month's one. And again, one more time just for fun. Have you ever started a podcast? Yes or no? If you say no, what's holding you back? If yes, are you still doing it? If so, what's the name of it? Where's the website address? And then why are you still doing it? Which isn't like, why are you still doing it? It's like, why are you doing it? If no, what was the name of the show? And why did you walk away? And speaking of the fact that I'm getting your email address, I want to point out something here about the School of Podcasting. Yes, when you sign up, you know, if you're new, if you're new to the show, you don't know this, but this is what you get. You get my 12 years of experience coaching you into your podcast. You get priority email support and you get two live coaching sessions with me. It's it's group coaching, but nonetheless, it's it's you and me and a couple other folks. 
And then you get all of my tutorials. You don't have to wait. They don't drip over time. They're all there. But here's the one thing you do not get at the School of Podcasting. And this is why I go around and I take other courses. You will not, once you sign up for me, get an email the next day going, hey, buy my book. Hey, you know what? If you sign up now, you can get the, and you know, and just and now you're on some sort of email list that just is saying, hey, since you have your wallet out, can you buy some more of my stuff? Ugh. I bought your one thing because I like your one thing, and I know you're a nice person, but enough with the, hey, only, you know, only for three easy payments and for the next 48 hours, and it's, you will not get that from the School of Podcasting. Everything I have is yours once you sign up. There's no dripping, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that's, and if you're, if you're not happy with the School of Podcasting, uh, 30 days you got to go, yeah, never mind, and I'll give you your money back. So if you're interested in that, go to schoolofpodcasting.com slash listen. Coming up in the future, we will have Katie Kremitzos from the Biz Women Rock community. I've got an email that I wanted to use in this episode from Steve Stewart about, uh, well, you know what? You just got to tune in because everything from Steve is gold. And uh, anything that you would like to talk about, I'm always open to suggestions. So come on in, join the community, schoolofpodcasting.com slash start. Use the coupon code listener, and I hope to see you on the inside. Until next week, thanks so much for listening. Class is dismissed. Take care and God bless. Now, what I want to talk today about, we have a visitor. Can I help you? What? You're going to go to podcast movement? Really? Are they going to let you on the plane? I don't think so. No, I, I know I could carry you with me, but no, then you got to work the Lipson booth with me. Do you want to work the Lipson booth? Yeah, I didn't think so. You just want to party. All the time. Party all the time. Yeah, I hear you, Burn. All right. I don't know that you're going to... Somebody's got to stay here and, and hold down the fort, buddy. I know. I know. Maybe some other time, all right? <laughs> the minute I hit record, he comes in here. Ugh. Yes. Can I help you? You have food. You have water. Oh, it's dinner time. That's why you're bugging me. All right, buddy. All right.